All right, so this morning, I'd like to talk about sharing our faith. And uh, if you could put on a slide, please. Um, and the title of my message is, How Can They Believe? And it's kind of funny, last week, uh, Braden was speaking, or Pastor Braden was speaking, and he mentioned a, a few scriptures in Romans 10. And it's funny because I'm going to start off with a few of those scriptures that he mentioned in Romans 10, except we're going to go a little bit deeper. So it's not necessarily, it's not to beat you on the head, you know, share more, share more, which you should be doing, but, but it's to make you realize kind of like the, the, the lies we believe sometimes or the preconceived ideas about sharing our faith, and I'd like to expose a few of those and bring you into a place where you no longer look at your fears or your excuses or, or whatever reason why you don't share your faith as believers. And into a place where your eyes no longer is focused on those weaknesses, but get off and be focused on the Holy Spirit. Because ultimately, it's not me knowing a million scriptures that draw people to the Lord. There's nothing wrong with getting into the Word, you guys, those of you that know me. You know, I'm really for that, getting into the Word and, and basing your life according to the Word of God. But that's, you know, you can almost say, I'm winning souls, like you put it on yourself. But when you release yourself from all of that responsibility, and you put everything at the feet of God, and you trust the Holy Spirit, but you step out of the boat, just like Peter did when Jesus called him, then you enter a realm where it's not you doing things, you're doing it physically, but the Holy Spirit tag teams you and starts doing things in other people's lives. So part of this message is we're going to expose the lie. And the second part of the message, I've asked a few specific people to share kind of short stories on the subject, and there's a reason why, and you'll understand at the end. Amen? Are you ready? All right. So I'm going to pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for everybody in this place. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that your job is to eliminate your word, to reveal truth to us. Lord, I pray that, you know, lies and deceptions and all these things that sometimes hinder us and hold us back, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray that those scales fall off and that your truth will penetrate us, our minds, our thoughts, our hearts, our motives, etc. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. 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 So the first, there's, I got four points, you know, and I said it's divided in two, but I got four points. So the first one is, unless someone tells them, so in Romans 10, 13, it says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, do you remember the first time you heard the gospel? Did anybody, does anybody remember the first time they heard Jesus or their salvation experience? Anybody? Only three of you? Oh, that's it. Nobody else remembers? I'm sure you do. And if you really think about it, in those times, I don't know about you, but looking back at the past, I can really tell when God showed up, when the Holy Spirit did something, and it wasn't just flesh. It wasn't just human beings pushing their views on me or, or arguing with me. It was really the Holy Spirit doing something in my life. And when, um, looking for my water bottle, when I first received Christ, Charlene and I got posted to uh, Valcartier. Anybody French here? Who's French? Right on, a little bit, good. So here we are, an English family, posted into a French province. We came from a place where every, we all knew each other. There was a, a camaraderie, you know, between soldiers, and we were all kind of together. And back then, I was one of those, you know, Ramboish kind of guys jumping out of airplanes and doing all sorts of crazy things in my 20s. And um, I changed trades. We moved to Valcartier. And next thing you know, Charlene and I found ourselves in a place where we had no friends. And we really didn't know anybody. 
And it was very lonely. Really, really lonely. And I was new, the new kid on the block at the shop. And, you know, you're trying to kind of do a good job and all these things. And then I realized, I hit a point that I realized that I was really empty inside. I realized that there was something missing in my life. And it was a specific day where I came from work. I sat on a couch and I said, ah, this is life. And I felt kind of, and suddenly like an emptiness filled me. And then I'm kind of wondering, what the heck is that? God was the furthest thing away from my mind. And so next thing you know, friends I'm starting to make were Christians. And without getting into a long story, Charlene came from an Anglican background, and she says, let's baptize Daniel. Daniel was a little baby. And I said, baptize? What for? Come on, come on. So then we met the Anglican priest. He says, well, if you want your son baptized, you need to come to church at least three times. <laughs> All right, I'll go to church. All right. And I went reluctantly. Then I ran into this pilot and his wife, and they were born again Christians. They're actually, right now, they're missionaries on the island of Malta. Anyway, um, so we ran into them, and next thing you know, I, I felt something weird about them something different. Charlene too, actually Charlene says, I, I don't really, I like them, but I don't like them. <laughs> Long story short, that couple, my sergeant at work was born again. He's sharing the gospel with a guy that's leaving, that's getting kicked out of the military for medical reasons, and he was trying to get him saved before he left. So I walked into that conversation, and I said, what's all this blankety-blank stuff. I was very negative and I could tell he was like, would you shut up? I'm trying to share the gospel with this guy. Long story short, I received Christ as my savior from a group of people that were meeting on that, that army or that military chapel in the evening, which was a born again group that was called MCF. But it's not Maritime Christian Fellowship, it was called Military Christian Fellowship. So anyway, long story short, I became a believer and, and I realized that it wasn't 30, 40 scriptures preached at me or, or people full of knowledge and, you know, down. God was already preparing my heart. On the outside, I was prideful. I was arrogant. I was, you know, mouthy. You know, you can ask my wife. She'll tell you. You know, that's the way Marius was. And, you know, I used to even say, forgive me, Lord, I hope no lightning strike hits me, but I used to say, what do you mean, God? I'm God. You know what I mean? That was my mindset back then. I've repented since, trust me. I've <laughs> many times. Anyway, so I understood there at that time that it wasn't people's strength. It wasn't, it was simply people that recognized something beyond what I was doing and said, this guy needs the Lord. And there's people that loved me enough to share the gospel, and there were two of them, tag teaming. I didn't know back then, but I, I thought it was two different people, but I, they knew each other. And then next thing you know, I became a believer. So right from the beginning, when I received Christ, I thought to myself, how come... You know, there's this gospel so powerful, it transforms people. How come not everybody talks about it? How come not every single Christian shares the gospel with people all the time? Like, how come? And then I started mentioning that to different people, and, and some, I'll say leaders, <laughs> they say, oh, don't worry, Marius, just calm down. You'll see, in a little while, you'll calm down, you'll sit in your chair, and you'll be like us. And I'm thinking in the back of my head, I don't want to be like that. But I started doing it. And then this passion to share the gospel started going down and down and down. My first year as a believer, I shared the gospel with everybody. I was ordered by my boss 
to get in the office. My boss, I worked for the government, federal government at the time, well, in the Army. I was ordered to shut up and stop telling people, pushing my religious views on people. And I refused to stop. And 11 people became Christians in that year. The, down, the downside is I started believing the lie. I started believing lies that, you know, I don't know enough and, and maybe I should just relax and sit in my chair and, and enjoy life. And more and more this passion left. And this passion was replaced with fears, with excuses, with busyness, with life, with all these things. And I started realizing there's something wrong here. I was trying to replace that, em that emptiness that was supposed to be to share the gospel with reading more books and maybe if I took courses and there's nothing wrong with that in itself. But in my mind, I was replacing that over the mission God called us to do, right? So I'm, I know I'm rambling a little bit for the introduction. So we'll read the scripture here. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's a promise. That's God saying that. And the next verse says, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one who they have not heard? And how can they hear unless someone preaches this to them or speaks to them or tells them about Jesus? Different Bible versions. And it's true. Every one of us here, if you say you're born again, that means somebody stepped out of their comfort zone, loved you enough in your mess to share the gospel, and now your destiny's in heaven because somebody stepped out of their fears and pushed away their excuses and shared the gospel, right? Am I right? Yes. All right, amen. <laughs> amen. And something else that came to me, and trust me, I've, I've been in the season of I'm too scared to, to share the gospel. I'm too in, intimidated or whatever. I've been there. I, like, I fully understand why people say that. But it, they're deceptions. And if we really think about it, the Bible says, love your neighbor as yourself. Right? Love God with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself. And I thought to myself, if I'm to love my neighbor as I love me, and... I'm happy I'm going to heaven. I'm happy somebody told me about Jesus. I'm happy that my destiny is going to be with Jesus Christ because somebody shared the gospel with me. Then shouldn't I have the same feeling for other people? Shouldn't my attitude be the same with my neighbor, my coworker, the people I go to school with, you know, et cetera, et cetera, the people we come in contact every day? And that made me realize that there's something wrong. <laughs> there's something wrong in our thinking. All right. So next slide, please. Oops, sorry. Can you back up? Let's. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> and the, the print is kind of smaller. So I'm going to give you some statistics. I, I kind of looked at statistics and numbers. And there's a ministry called Lifeway Research. And what they do is they... They interview churches and pastors and ministries and all the rest. And they say that 80% believe they should share the gospel. That means 80% of people in church, that means 80% of everybody here believes they can share the gospel. They, you know, it's, it's part of our mission. That means there's 20 that don't. We'll put that aside for now. But 80% do. But in the same survey... They were asked in the past year, have you shared the gospel with at least one person? And less than 5% said yes. Ouch. Ouch. And the part, the one that kind of, there was a whole whack of numbers. The one that kind of hit me the most was that they were, they were asked, as a Christian, as a born-again Christian in your church and your whatever you're doing, do you regularly pray for the lost? Whether it's a brother, cousin, friend, co-worker, loved one, somebody, you know, 
and 80% said no. Only 20% of believers interviewed said they pray for the loss. Is there, do you think there's something wrong here? Yeah. All right. I'm just trying to get scales to come off your eyes so when you receive the truth, you're, you're going to kind of, so next slide, please. We'll go to this one now. 1,600 Christians were asked, what prevents you from sharing your faith? These were the answers. The first three are fear. So the first one is fear in general. Prevents them from sharing their faith. Next one is fear of rejection, a little bit more specific. Fear of hostility. Some say they don't have opportunities. Do you talk to people on a daily basis? <laughs> so anyway, some say they feel they're not equipped to do so. You know, you don't need a master's degree in theology to share the gospel. You need to know Jesus. You need to, in 15 seconds, explain why you believe Jesus and how to share, you know, the gospel in, in your own words. Um, some believe that nobody would be interested. That's so further from the truth, and we'll kind of bust that one in a few minutes. Some say they're too busy. That's a priority thing. Too shy. Some say they can't find the appropriate time. Charlene will blow that one out of the water in a second. Uh, some say it's not easy to bring up faith in a conversation. I'll talk about that one later. Um, some say they don't want to come across pushy. Some say they don't want to offend. And let me be blunt here. Trust me, I, after, it's going to get better. But let me be blunt Every one of those are excuses, and every one of those are related to us not trusting God. Because all of these have to do with me. I'm scared. I can't. I don't have time. I'm too busy. I'm this, I'm that. As opposed to say, Lord, I'm going to step out in faith. I'm going to trust you, and what happens, happens. That's why at the end there's a few testimonies I want people to share, just to show you that, like, the miracle that happens when we step out. Like, it really is. I was debating on uh, saying this now or later, but I'm not too sure if the timing's right, but it doesn't matter. Um, who's part of the devotional reading that we do as a church. Some of you are. So in today's reading, I read it a little bit later. I guess I read it after Braden and after Richard. And I was really floored on their response. Because, and I'll read the scripture here. This is Paul speaking to the first Corinth or Corinthian church. And he says, I came to you in weakness, this is 1 Corinthians um, chapter 2, verse 3 to 5. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. If you think I don't have fear before stepping up here, if you think that pastors and ministers and different ministries people don't, everybody has a little bit of fear. The key here is to overcome the fear by trusting God. So he says, I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise, persuasive words. So that blows away the theory of I need to know more, right? Uh, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom but on God's power. Amen? So this scripture here is saying... You know, I'm, sometimes I'm shaking in my boots. This is Paul. Sometimes I'm fearful. Sometimes I feel weak. Sometimes I feel vulnerable. But I know that if I push through these and step out in faith and keep preaching the gospel, and that's what Paul's saying here in 1 Corinthians, and keep preaching the gospel, the Holy Spirit's going to show up and souls are going to be saved. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. Three amens? 
I hope I'm not beating you up. If I am, well, you know, you can beat me up later. Next slide, please. Uh, oh, my goodness. That's very small. Old car. Okay. So we're going to continue with chapter 10 here. And the next verse after, you know, unless somebody tells them, says, how can anyone preach unless they're sent? Right? And how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news? And I'm thinking, when it comes to preaching the gospel, what, what does that have to do with it? <laughs> right? So I'm, I'm thinking, like, what, what does he mean by that? So I don't know about you, but when I hit verses like that, it makes me want to dig a little bit more. And in Ephesians 6, if we can go in the next slide, please. Ephesians 6 talks about the armor of God. And I'm going to read, you know, verse 13 to 17 just to get you in it. The whole context here is to be prepped for battle, spiritual warfare, right? You understand spiritual warfare? I think most of you do. And I'll read it here. Therefore, it's not on the screen. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And I went, whoa, There's those, are those two verses related? So I went, hmm. Continuing, in addition to this, take up your shield of faith, which extinguishes the flaming arrows of the enemy or the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of spirit, which is the word of God. So the whole thing about this armor that we're putting on is to gain ground and fight battles in our lives, right? If we don't do that, then we're opening ourselves up and we're vulnerable to what the enemy just throws at us, right? And red dead smack in the middle of that, it says, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. I've heard many teachings on this. As a matter of fact, the book of Ephesians was one of my Bible college courses I had to take. And, you know, so in great detail I studied that, but this has never occurred to me until this week. Is that, you know, and then I went and looked at different versions of the Bible, and it says... Ephesians 6.15, your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. We just read that one. Another version says, as your shoes, as your shoes, the readiness to announce the good news of peace. Another version says, your desire to tell the good news of peace should be like shoes on your feet. Another version says, put on your shoes so that you are ready to spread the good news that gives peace. Now, this is going to be my last shocker, I think. I hope. Maybe. I don't know. We'll see. The reason the world is falling apart, the reason people are, are, are believing all these crazy lies today, would you say that it's like getting really bad out there? Yeah. I mean, society is getting so further away from God and we can't blame them. We can't expect unbelievers to behave like believers. We can't expect Christians or un people that don't know Jesus Christ to have the same convictions you and I have as believers that have the Holy Spirit. People that don't have Christ is going to behave like people that don't know Christ. So they're going to get further away and further away from God and further away from God more and more until somebody tells them about Jesus, the Holy Spirit shows up, transforms them, and next thing you know, they're on your side. And this part of the spiritual warfare, which is dead smack middle of your, the, the dress that you're wearing, is sharing the gospel wins battles in your life and in the lives of people around you. And if the world is falling apart, it's because you and I as believers, are not sharing the gospel. We'll do everything else except tell people about Jesus. As a matter of fact, 
people that are in ministries that tell people about Jesus, there's almost like an unpopularity of those and very what criticized. Okay? Does that make sense? Feet readiness with the gospel of peace. Not with a master's degree in theology, but simply the message of the gospel ready to share as you're walking through life and you're talking with people at work and you're meeting people in your classroom. You're cutting the lawn and your neighbor's doing the same thing, etc., etc. The feet ready with the gospel of peace. Amen? Part of your warfare. Say amen loud and I'll move to the next point. All right. You really want me to move to the next point? (laughs) Next slide, please, Litz. You're doing a great job, Litz. Thank you. So Matthew 9, 35, 38. What we're going to talk about in this third point is being moved with compassion. Mm. Mm -hmm. Matthew 9, 35, 38. Jesus began traveling through the cities and villages, teaching in synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every illness. Next slide. When he saw the crowds, he was deeply moved with compassion for them because they were troubled and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And let me stop here. The thing here, the the, the main point here is... Jesus was on a mission to share the gospel, and he was traveling and and all of that. And as he was doing these things, as he was stepping out and doing these things, he developed compassion for the crowd. So he would stand up in front of a crowd, let's say in the town, proclaim Jesus. And instead of being influenced by fears, uh, instead of being influenced with excuses, instead of being influenced by me, myself, and I, He had compassion over the lost. Loving your neighbor. Remember I mentioned that earlier? When we get into this place of we love our neighbor as ourselves, instead of just saying it, actually doing it, our fears and all these things, they kind of dissipates because love and compassion takes over. Who's got children here? You got, exactly. You got a speeding car coming towards your son or your daughter. You're not going to be concerned about offending him or her. You're not going to be concerned about, you know, maybe, uh, you know, I should do this. You're going to run and grab that child either by the hair or by the arm or the leg or something. You're going to pluck your child right out of danger because you don't want your child to get hit by a car. That same compassion Jesus wants you and I to have towards unbelievers. So when we see the crowd of people, the crowd could be your coworkers and all that. These are people you come in contact with and you start seeing them as people lost. Like the scripture says, lost without a shepherd. Needing a shepherd. Coming back to um, love. You know, the first three uh, excuses were fear. What does the Bible say about perfect love? Perfect love casts out all fear. That's what 1 John says, chapter 4 something. 10. I'm going to guess 10. Somebody can challenge me later. Perfect love casts out all fear. All of it, not a little bit of it. Then the verse says... Because fear has to do with punishment. You know, when you and I walk through life in fear, we're always scared of different things. We walk in fear. It's never the best scenario going through our minds, right? Anybody agree? Anybody? It's always the worst case scenario. So you're not going to think, well, if I'm going to share the gospel with my coworker, oh, he's going to receive it. You're going to think the worst right? Because fear has to do with punishment, beating yourself up. And it says right after that, 1 John 4, that um, perfect love casts out all fear because fear has to do with punishment. 
And, um, oh, geez, I just got a. Somebody look it up. What's the next part of that verse? I just had a blame. Yeah, uh, fear has to do with punishment. And oh, I just got it. Thank you, Lord. Those who fear, love is not perfected in them. And that's what the scripture says. Love is not, it's not, it didn't say that you're not perfect. It didn't say that you're flawed. It means that if you're still fearful to step out in the things of God, is because the love of God has not been perfected inside of you and I. So the answer is not beating yourself up or, or going on guilt trips or, or all these things. It's to soak yourself into the love of God. You know, in prayer time, saying, Lord, show me who you are. Reveal yourself to me. Lord, you know, if, if there's areas in my life that, you know, my heart is hard towards you, reveal it to me. And you let the love of God soak you, just like a sponge. You ever have a hard, crusty sponge? You, what happens when you pour water on it? Just beads off, right? Right? So you pour water, it just beads off, and it stays hard and crusty. But you take that sponge and you just drop it into a big bowl of water. The next morning, that sponge is going to be all full of water. You pick it up, it's going to drip all over you. You squeeze it, it's going to come out. Saturate yourself into the love of God. Look at the crowd and fear and all these excuses will fall away because you'll start having compassion for people. That's, that's what, how the Holy Spirit works. Amen. All right. Okay. Amen, amen. Next slide, please. And the next one again. Next one again. Yep, perfect. Thank you. So Jesus was traveling. Okay, we know that. He was teaching in their synagogues. We talked about that. He was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing. We talked about that. He saw the crowd. He was deeply moved from compassion. We saw that. Then he said, this will be the last bad thing. You can throw things at me if you want. Verse 37 says, he said to the disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest. The harvest are your co-workers, people you come in contact with, the, the lost. And who are the workers? Two or three people say us. The rest of you, is it somebody else or us? Or? It's us, right? We are the workers. And when we come to realize, and this is one of the lies the enemy tells people, is he says people are not interested People don't want to hear the gospel. People don't want to know about Jesus. Let me tell you, that is furthest from the truth. Because the harvest is ripe. And I think with everything that happened, the world, the condition of the world today, people going, you know, during the whole COVID thing, people are really seeking for something truth and real. So many people, they're, 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 there's deception out there. There's a lot of deception. You've got to be careful. But there's also a lot of people that God is working on their hearts. And the problem has never been the harvest. It's always been there's not enough workers. Actually, it's a good thing for churches too. <laughs> anyway, I'll leave that one aside. But when it comes to the gospel and preaching to people, the harvest is ripe. You don't have to say, Lord, send me people. There's thousands of people around you right now that need to know Jesus. We don't need people sent to us. We need to open our mouths and let it out. Amen? All right. I'm going to tell you, now we're going to shift. Does that make sense? Yeah? Okay. 
Again, if you say amen, I'll move on. Amen. All right, so I'll move on. I'm going to share with you a couple of short stories that prove that it's not us, that God can use us in our worst mess to share the gospel with people, and that it's 100% the Holy Spirit. Yes, we could say we know a million scriptures, and we know the Romans road, and we know all these different you know, ways or methods of sharing the gospel, but all in all, it's the Holy Spirit. And many, many, many times, the Holy Spirit is already working in people. And whether we know it or not, whether we're in a good place or not, whether we're fully obedient to God or maybe we're kind of staggering a little bit in our walks, when we step out in faith, Jesus shows up. Let me give you an example. The Bible talks about people like that, people of peace. Anybody heard that or read that in the Bible? People of peace? People of peace are unbelievers that are believers but don't know it yet. People of peace in the Bible are people that don't know Jesus, but God is already working in their hearts, inside of them, preparing them to receive the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen? So I'm going to tell you a story. There's many small stories. My nephew, Mike, back there, I actually phoned, he phoned me this morning. I messaged him, I asked him, can I use your name during the message? So it's, it's already, he said yes. We went fishing last month together. The whole idea was just him and I to go fish together. They moved from Ontario. He's the son of Charlene's brother, Kelly, who passed away a few years ago. They moved, they wanted to be closer to us. We're family and we got our, our own kids here and all that, Charlene's clapping, yay. Anyway, so we went fishing, Mike and I, and we went to two different spots. The second spot we were at, I thought to myself, you know what? And I knew in my spirit that, you know, we'd be talking about Jesus. I knew I'd be sharing the gospel with him. And in my mind, just like that list of excuses, right, that I'm sure many of us have. I've, I've, I've had a lot of those. I thought, well, if I mention it, he might brush it off. Maybe he'll say, oh, it's time to go home. You know, we all think negative, right? Right? Okay. So I asked Mike a question that demanded a response. And I did not expect the answer. He talked for about 15 minutes straight. And he started talking about how God's already working on his heart and on his wife Tina's heart. You know, and they sense that there's something real about God. They're, they're not, they don't fully understand everything yet. And he went on and on. And I told Mike, I said, Mike, you're a person of peace. So I explained to him what I just told you. God was already working on his heart. A few days later, we're at church. They received Christ. Is Barbara here? Barbara, the lady that prayed with us. She's not here. Okay, anyway. So Charlene and I and Barbara, we pay, prayed with uh, Mike and Tina, and they became believers, surrendered their lives to Christ. And I think outside of John 3, 16, there was no, there was no bachelor's degree coming out you know what I mean? There's not 50 million scripture. God was working on their heart. They only needed somebody to share the gospel with them, pray with them, and they receive Christ. And the reason, amen. And Mike, can I ask you a question publicly? Is that all right? <laughs> was God already working in your heart? Absolutely. Let me tell you something, folks. There are people you're in contact with every single day, whether you know it or not, their God's already working on their hearts. And the only thing you got to do is just share what you have. Share the good news. Amen? Amen. Amen. So thank you, Mike, for that. Um, can you go to the next slide, please? So Mark... Um, Mark says, Mark 16, 15 says, as you go into the world, preach openly 
the wonderful good news of the gospel to the entire human race. Next slide, please. This includes at work. And I'm going to show you a couple of things here. Mike's example was to tell you or make you aware that God works on people's hearts already, right? That God prepares heart. Let me tell you of a story at work. Actually, two short, very short stories of me sharing the gospel with somebody and I was not prepared. And my head, I was not in a good place. And both times I was kind of frustrated. And I'll go quickly. Trust me, I don't want to bore you guys. One day I'm at work. It's lunch. It's at lunchtime. The boss talked to all the instructors. I was teaching welding for Canadian Forces Base Borden. Our boss wanted to implement something. I was a civilian instructor. Military people transition a lot, but civilians stay the same job, you know, public servant. And uh, I told him, I said, listen, boss, I don't want to say his name because we're being recorded. I said, listen, boss, we've tried this twice before it failed. And the response he gave me is, Marius, thank you, but I'm the boss, so basically shut up, do your job, and I'll make the decision. So I said, okay. I was frustrated all afternoon, right? Have you ever been there? Oh, man, I was boiling. So I was doing my rounds. He'd ask me questions, and I'd snap back at him like little, little snappers. You know what that means, right? So he says to me about 10 minutes before leaving, he says, Marius, before we leave tonight, when everybody's gone, I'd like to talk to you in private. So I thought to myself, oh, yeah? Yeah, we're going to talk in private, all right? <laughs> I was ready, right? <laughs> Everybody leaves, he locks the door, and he asks me to go out back with him. Didn't really know what to expect, and next thing you know, he breaks down crying. And then he shares with me something that happened to him two days before that, and it was devastating. Like, it was, it was really, really bad. I can't say what it is, but it was really bad. So I backed up. In my mind, the first thing I did is I said, Lord, forgive me for even thinking negative and getting into that stinky place. And I said, can I pray for you? He said, yes, absolutely. I prayed for him. And there's two things that I prayed specific. I felt God wanted to him to know or hear these things. Two things specific. Six months later, he got posted out. The two things I prayed happened. God answered those prayers. And before leaving, he thanked me for doing that because it changed his life, praying for him. In the midst of that, I shared the good news with him. In other words, I don't want to take the whole time. I shared the good news with him, and he moved on somewhere else, just like a lot of military people have done. I was not in a good place, and God still used me. Why? Because I stepped out. Another time, a friend of mine who was a nurse phoned me at work. I shared that at uh, the sword there, the, um, the seminar we had. A friend of mine phones me. He says, Marys, can you talk to somebody? He was in the airborne just like you and I. And, you know, he came back from Afghanistan, messed up, and he needs to talk to somebody. I recommended you because you're a pastor, but you also were in the air army and in the airborne. You've been on tours also. So he agreed to come see me. That night, I was tired. I was fried. I had a really rotten day. Anybody had rotten days before? I was not, but I said I'm going <laughs> to, Michael's got two hands up there. And I walked out, work, went in my car, drove to the church, waited for this guy. I was really hoping he wouldn't show up. Why? Because I wanted to just go home, put my feet up, and just breathe. And next thing you know, I hear somebody coming in. I'm like, Ugh. I listened to his story. I said, you know what, can I pray for you? So I figured I'd just pray a nice little cute prayer, you know, and kind of brush him off and say, go on your way and I'll go home. Well, God showed up. Tears, the Holy Spirit came. And again, Marius, in my mind, I was repenting. Like, I was repenting big time. And within minutes, this guy received the Lord as his Savior. He surrendered his life to Christ. God changed him instantly. Something happened instantly in him. 
And I, you know, I walked out of there in tears myself because what if I would have canceled on him? What if I would have said, you know what, I'm too busy. I'm too tired. I'm too, you know, uh, I've had a bad day. You know that list of excuses. If I would have thrown two or three excuses, cancel it, push it off, and hopefully he won't come back. What if I did that? He wouldn't have had the opportunity to become a believer and his destiny in heaven. That makes sense. There are people in your workplace, even if you argue with them, and you're, if they know you're a believer, and I hope you let your light shine at least a little bit in the workplace, if they know you're a believer, in time of crisis, they're going to come and see you. Right? Has this ever happened to anybody? In time of crisis, they will come and see you. Next slide, please. On the streets. I'm going to ask Lori to come up. I asked Lori to share just a couple of minutes of something that happened lately when her and her son stepped out in obedience. Go ahead. Okay, so um, about, it was, I remember the date, it was June 23rd. I've been clearing out a lot of things and spirits out of my house. <laughs> and uh, Charlene actually told me, don't just pray over my apartment, pray over my whole building and pray over everybody in the building. So I, uh, I started to do that. And there was one particular family on the opposite side upstairs that um, they, I don't think were Christians, but um, I know that they have got young children, like the, the other people, I prayed for all of them too, but I specifically prayed like very specific prayers for this family. And, um, yeah, you want to hold this? Okay. So I started praying for them, and um, I don't talk to them. Hold on, buddy, okay? I don't talk to them very often. I don't talk to many of my neighbors. I, I stay in the house for the most part. Um, but I was at a community center event uh, about two weeks ago. And the father came up to me and started talking to me and said that um, about a month before that, he just had this random idea to go to church. So they picked the closest church, which was a good one, and, um, and they started going. And through that, they, the children all within that month, they all went to a Bible camp. Um, they... <laughs> They started regularly going to church, and um, the one of the <laughs> hold on a second. Um, he shared with me that his son actually decided to get baptized, um, and he had no idea how his son even knew what baptism was or anything. And Jack actually told him. <laughs> so um, I'm gonna call Jack up real quick, wherever he is, Jack. I don't know if he's paying attention. Okay. <laughs> oh, there he is. So Jack only knows one Bible verse. That is it. One Bible verse. And he shares this Bible verse. It's John 3, 16. God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Whoever believed in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. <laughs> yeah. That's all you need. <laughs> Okay. All right. Yes. Amen. <clears throat> There's no such thing as a junior Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's the same, whether you're this tall or, or Sean's size there. It doesn't matter. The Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. And he'll work through anybody, and he'll work through Jack, one verse, and, and work through somebody's life. And Lori praying... What amazed me about this story is Lori was praying that the father specifically was the, I'm sorry, but that the father would be the leader of his home, right? And that's what he told her word for word. I feel like I need to be the leader of my home and bring my family to church. Like, isn't that awesome? Like, I hope this encourages you to step out, right? 
Because when we step out, like, it's like we tag team with God, and, and God does things. Amen? Another story is my wife, Charlene. <laughs> We're almost done. I hope, do you, are you enjoying these testimonies? It's good? Okay. They're life-giving. Amen. Um, gosh, could give many testimonies, but Marius wanted me to specifically share this one. Um, so we lived in Quebec, as he had mentioned, and it was our anniversary. I can't remember which anniversary, but um, so we went out to Quebec City to dinner, and um, has anyone ever been to Quebec City? Okay, so you know the Chateau Frontenac and the beautiful boardwalk in the front, and so it was uh, in July, so they had the buskers. Oh, sorry. They had the buskers. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Um, all along and so we're just enjoying all that and we stop at this one thing where somebody was playing music and in behind him on the side was a very drunk person and they were kind of mocking and just shenanigans to the person that was performing and I was just like focused in on this guy like I I don't think Marius even knew I was really just watching him I was just like fixated on him for whatever reason and he, he was just there. I can't explain it. I didn't think much except, wow, this guy is like being very, you know, disorderly. And uh, so anyway, we decided to move on and we walked down a bit more. And when we came back along the boardwalk, they have these big uh, gazebos that you can sit in. And we kind of stopped near one. And lo and behold, the drunk guy is actually in one of the gazebos. And he's just being belligerent and a bunch of people were sitting in there, and they were arguing with him. He was arguing with them, and, and I knew that we just had to go in and sit there. <laughs> and uh, so we were sitting there, and I think we struck up conversation with him, and actually, no, everyone's leaving, and all of a sudden, it's just us with this guy. And we started sharing the gospel with him, and he sobered up just like that. And next thing you know, he starts crying, and we led him to the Lord. And um, Marius just happened to have a little Bible in his pocket, which he almost always used to have. Um, we gave him the Bible. We felt led to just give him a little bit of money. He started repenting. He felt bad for how he treated his parents. He was a younger guy. And he needed some money to go buy a bus ticket to go back to Montreal. And we actually followed him to the bus station. That's exactly where he went right after so I don't know if he, what happened after that. We, you know, sometimes you just have those chance moments. Um, but he accepted the Lord. He sobered right up. Transformation happened. And this was a guy that everyone was like, ah, oh, get away from me, you drunk, and whatever. Now here's the thing I wanted to add. Is that day specifically, before all this happened, I was feeling so unworthy I was battling in my heart. I just felt I did something and that God was disappointed with me. And I was just filled with um, just that feeling all day long. I couldn't even shake it. I just felt really down on myself and unworthy. And then that happened. And I, so I can't take any glory. <laughs> but I can say that the enemy knew what was going to happen. And so sometimes you, gotta, you have to, not sometimes, you have to push through those feelings because you never know. If, it, if you make it about you, I wouldn't have opened my mouth to this guy. I wouldn't, God, I wouldn't have paid attention when God highlighted him. But, you know, so we have to push through those feelings and do what God tells us to do. And salvation is everything. So, Amen. anyway, that's our little testimony. And again, we didn't, one or two scriptures, and that was it. Laid hands on a guy, took time to, everybody was laughing at him. Everybody was angry, calling him names, you know. And uh, I was totally disconnected that morning. Me, I'm like, I'm going to have fun in the old city. And Charlene zoomed right it. And then spoke life into him, and then both of us, you know, shared the good news with him. Amen. Again, it has nothing to do, sometimes nothing to do with us. We need to get over ourselves. Who are we to think that we can stop God? Right? Your fear can stop God. Your excuses can stop God. Like, we need to get over ourselves. 
This morning, that morning, Charlene didn't feel like saying anything. She was not in a good place. But the Holy Spirit showed up. So I'm thankful for that. I'm going to share one more story and, and, and wrap this up there. Sorry, I didn't mean it to be this long. But um, Next slide, please. In class, that's, I'm not in school anymore. But it's another place of opportunity. Next slide. Shopping, socializing, restaurants. I want to come back to the person of peace, the story with, with my nephew, Mike, there. Years later, when Charlene and I had, we've taken training under ministries that share the gospel, that go on the streets, that are bold and do it. We've done it hundreds of times, share with different people, and some accept, some don't, you know, it's, it's all that. And one of the things that we've learned is if you're in a crowd and you suddenly have compassion over the crowd and, and you say, you know, and you're, you're looking at people. In this case here, it was at a bus station in Barrie, Ontario. I looked at the crowd and I said, Lord, show me one person that you're working on right now. Lord, reveal to me, like this is specific, somebody basically a person of peace, but somebody that you're already working on their hearts. And I'm looking at the crowd, and I'm telling you, fears and all these things, they're still there. But instead of being our gods, they go like this. Compassion comes up. Faith rises. So this guy was wearing, like, working jeans. You can tell he was working in construction. Steel toe boots with the black rubber cap, so you know they're steel toe boots. He had a blue um, a hard hat with a whole bunch of stickers. And he walked right in front of me, and I watched him. And one of the stickers was uh, the Iron Workers Union on it. So he walked in front of me, and God kind of pointed that guy out. And um, I said, okay, Lord. You know, and he's walking away, and next thing you know, he's gone in a crowd, and I'm thinking, well, okay, whatever. Then he comes back, and he sits on a bench. In the bus stop in Barrie, you can be indoors or you can be outdoors, and there's a bunch of benches. He's sitting on the bench right across from me. I'm saying, all right, Lord, I, I get it. I get the hint here. So I started the conversation with him, and I noticed that he had a bit of a limp. And as he's walking, he had kind of a bit of a... Just a little bit. So I said to him, did you hurt yourself today? He says, oh, no, no, I've had this limp for years. It was a, a work accident, but he's had it for years, and it doesn't bother me, and whatever, whatever. Oh, yeah, so I said, I noticed you're from Iron Workers Union. He said, yeah. He said, are you an iron worker? I said, no, I'm a welder fabricator. But anyway, small talk was done, and I said to him, because there's different ways you can approach people. And the, the training we've done, there's like four basic ways. My favorite is to offer prayer for people. So I said, can I pray for your foot? And he said, sure. But he thought I was going to go home at night, you know, beside my bed and, dear Lord, and pray for him. I said, no, no, I can, right now, can I put my hand on your foot and pray for you? So he, he kind of, okay, was not too sure. He said, okay. I, and see, it's good to have kind of like answers. So I said to him, what do you have to lose? You might get healed. And if you don't, well, whatever, you'll be the same as you are now. So, you know, can I pray for you? He said, yes. All right, absolutely. So I bent down, I put my hand on his foot. It wasn't this big, long theological prayers, you know, big fancy words. It was very simple. And in the name of Jesus Christ, command his foot to be well. Amen. And then I said, get up. He got up. I said, walk around. He walked a bit around. I said, he said, still, he's still limping. I said, all right, sit down again. I'm going to pray for you again. And then I put my hand on his foot. Meanwhile, people are walking, going, what's this guy doing? Is he a weirdo or what? I prayed the same prayer, exact same thing, didn't change anything. Then I said, get up. He got up, and he started walking perfectly. Perfectly. Then he turns around, 
and he walks with a bit of a bounce. Then he kind of goes like this. And then he looks at me and he says, who are you? And I said, I'm just a person that believes in Jesus Christ and believes in the power of prayer, believe in healing, and believe in the gospel of Jesus. And God healed you. And he healed you because he loves you and he's got a plan and a purpose for you. And then I shared the gospel with him. I, because he didn't have a car, he was taking a bus, right? I pointed him to a local church in Barrie that I, I trust. And I don't know what happened since then. I don't know if he followed through or not. We were living in Angus, a little bit outside of Barrie. But you see what happens again when we step out? Amen? Amen. This, is, this is God. It has nothing to do with Mary's. The Holy Spirit that is in me is the same that is in all of you. Next slide, please. I think we're going to finish now. Yeah. Shut off the PowerPoint. I think we're good. Yeah. You can shut off the PowerPoint. So Romans 10, 14, we talked about it earlier. How can people have faith in the Lord... And ask him to save them if they had never heard of him before. And how can they hear unless somebody tells them? 